Greetings, dear, dear listeners, and welcome to another episode of The Working Experience, a very warm, open-arm audio embrace and a squeeze. This episode is brought to you by my company, One Circle Media. One Circle Media is a hybrid digital agency and media content creator. We create and design apps, websites, videos, social media content, and physical products. We are artists, directors, designers, producers, coders, editors, thinkers, makers, and creators who embrace story and creativity from design, web and app development, animation, docs, features, TV shows, digital and social media content to physical products. For our clients, we create content that builds networks and audiences across multiple platforms. Check out our work at OneCircleDigital.com and OneCircleBrand.com. If you work for a network, studio, brand, startup, or corporation, and are looking for a partner to create media that will build, engage, and entertain, reach out to me at John at OneCircleMedia.com. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks, everyone, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Working Experience. The Working Experience. Route 93 North is almost at a standstill. It's a rough one out there this morning. Snow and sleet. There is no service on the... Stand clear of the closing doors, please. Uh, Yeah, folks, we're going to be a few minutes. We have train traffic ahead of us. We should be moving shortly. John, we need that report ASAP. Where are we on that presentation? And HR wants to see you. Did you return that email yet? We have a team meeting at 10. Did you stay late, Bob? Teamwork makes the dream work. (laughs) They're moving in a different direction. And after the meeting, we'll have a breakout session. Who ate my chicken? Where are my hot pockets? This microwave is disgusting. Oh, God, what's that? He was living his toenails at the desk. I can't take it anymore. I can't take it anymore. Hey everybody, this is Matty Kay of the Working Experience Podcast, uh, here to talk a little bit about the places most affected by remote workers' moves around the country. Boy, this this is all still pandemic-related stuff. I, I think it's going to be a good 20 years before we ever move past this, although I find myself all the time saying this was before the pandemic or this was after the pandemic um it's just become the reference point you know there was before march of 2020 and after march of 2020 and we're still feeling the effects the hangover of it one of which is remote working a lot of people left their jobs um people could not physically go into the office maybe i'm putting the car before the horse uh offices had to close down people working from home um during that time uh, you know there was such a an upheaval people left their jobs they just decided they didn't want to do it anymore um other people stuck with their jobs or they may have moved jobs but they are adamant about remaining uh remotely working because there's just a lot of advantages to it um number one you save on gas huge uh and i think there's also the idea of why should i have to come into work if i'm being productive then um what's the problem now a lot of businesses are pushing back they want people in that office and at their computers and uh you know i can kind of see that argument too um one thing that you know before 2020 first of all there was only a handful of people 
you know, relatively speaking, who actually worked remote before uh, March of 2020. And um, if you wanted to move to certain places, you know, like uh, New Hampshire, for example, or you wanted to, you know, get cheaper housing, you want to live in the Midwest or something like that, the problem was jobs. Now with remote working, obviously that gives people a lot more flexibility to move. Like you can actually, you know, go someplace with the housing is, you know, or cost of living is half as much as it was if you had to live near New York City or Boston or Washington, D.C. or Los Angeles, San Francisco, any of those places. Um, so it has given people a lot more flexibility, but also uh, on the flip side, people don't have to move for a job necessarily. Like if you get a job in Dallas, Texas, and you live in New Jersey, you, you don't necessarily have to move to Dallas, Texas. You could do your work remotely. Um, as with everything, there's ups, downs, ins, outs. Some people love it. I personally am not sure I would love to be sitting in a spare bedroom all day working online, but for other people, it's a dream come true. Plus, I'm almost 50 years old. If you're 25, it might seem utterly ridiculous to be commuting into an office because that's just not the paradigm that you're used to. And obviously this impacts a lot of things. It impacts, you know, restaurants, it impacts retail stores, it impacts real estate, rents, house sales, all of that. So this article is in the New York Times. Uh, the places most affected by remote workers moves around the country. In pre-pandemic times, the few Americans who worked from home appeared relatively settled there. They were less likely to move than other workers, and they probably had less reason to. If you were sitting in a rare job in 2018 that enabled regular work from home, and your life was adjusted to that good fortune, why move somewhere new? The abrupt rise and shifting nature of remote work over the last few years has upended this pattern, according to an upshot analysis of census migration data. During the pandemic, people who worked from home became significantly more likely to move and more likely to do so than all other workers. So I guess before the pandemic, you didn't move because you didn't have to. Seems like after the pandemic, you move because you can. And like I was saying, maybe to cheaper places. Um, let's see, the rising mobility was driven by remote workers who sought new housing in their same metro areas, but also by a wave of remote workers decamping to other parts of the country. In the first two years of the pandemic, one in four workers who moved a long distance was working remotely in a new home, a previously unheard of scale of remote migration. In the two years leading up to the pandemic, for example, about 20,000 remote workers moved away from the San Francisco metro area. Then during 2020 and 2021, 110,000 did. In those pre-pandemic years, about 40,000 remote workers moved away from the metro, moved away from Metro New York, then 200,000 left in two years. So that's 2020, 2021. So up from 20,000 to 110,000 in San Francisco, from 40,000 up to 200,000 in the New York Metro area. The rise of remote work meant that many such workers moved into these places too. But for New York, San Francisco, Washington, and Los Angeles, significantly more remote workers left than arrived. 
So more people were leaving New York, San Francisco, Washington, and Los Angeles than were coming in there to work, which makes sense. By contrast, Austin, Denver, Dallas, and Nashville all attracted a net influx of people working from home. Uh, scrolling through a little chart here. That mirrors a pattern identified in an earlier upshot analysis that showed college-educated workers were increasingly migrating away from the most expensive parts of the country and toward relatively more affordable metro, major metros. During the pandemic era, remote work helped accelerate that shift. For every 10 workers who left San Francisco and San Jose metros during the pandemic, four were working remotely in their new home. For every 10 workers who moved into Austin, three were working remotely there. The remote workers able to make these moves tend to have higher incomes. In fact, the higher a worker's income, the more likely that person is to be remote, a pattern that became much more pronounced during the pandemic. You know, it occurs to me people earning more money are able to move to cheaper areas. Like if you work in a restaurant in New York City as a waiter or something like that, uh, obviously you, you, know, you can't do that remotely. Um, such a strange dichotomy in our uh, economy. This means that higher income households are better able to take advantage of the opportunity to remote work as presented to move to more affordable communities, either further out in the suburbs or in another part of the country. And for the expensive places that have lost remote workers, this means they have increasingly lost tax revenue and consumer spending power associated with high earners. So you're kind of getting the double whammy there. The real power demographic change isn't in one year. It's whether these patterns persist, a year, persist year over year over year, said Hans Johns. Sorry, let me start this again, Monica. <laughs> You'll have to edit that. The real, power, the real power of demographic change isn't in one year. It's whether these patterns persist year over year over year, said Hans Johnson, a demographer with the Public Policy Institute of California. For some parts of the country, however, these trends already raise big questions. For one, Mr. Johnson asks, does the move to remote work for highly educated and high-income workers change who lives in California? In general, remote work migration has affected two kinds of places in particular. Major metros, where the local economy is geared toward the types of jobs that can be done from home, and smaller vacation hubs that promise people who can live anywhere a high quality of life. In the first category, the Bay Area, Washington, Austin, Denver, and New York all rank high among metro areas with more remote-friendly jobs. They have many software developers and management analysts, not so many mining machine operators or logging workers. In migration data, these places both attract both attracted and lost remote workers in large numbers during the pandemic, although the net effect of that churn varied by metro. In the smaller scenic vacation spots that also jump out in the data, more remote workers have been moving in than might be expected given the makeup of the local economy and the total scale of migration there. 
The second group includes communities in and around Ocean City, New Jersey, Cape Cod, Mass, and the Salisbury, Maryland Metro, home to Maryland and Delaware beach towns popular with vacationers from the Washington area. So vacation towns saw a surge of remote workers moving in. During the pandemic, more than a quarter million American workers moved to metros with a high share of homes intended for seasonal use, a good proxy for places that are effectively vacation destinations. That's two and a half times as many as moved there in, in the previous two years. Nearly half of these new migrants said they were working from home. Exurbs are exiting the area entirely is the question. This analysis relied on a question in the American Community Survey asking people how they usually got to work in the past week, including by car, bus, subway, ferry, or by working from home. The remote workers identified this way may range from hybrid workers who primarily work from home to permanent remote workers and self-employed people who have no nearby office to visit. Left out of these numbers are probably people who work only a day or two a week from home or less. The precise form of remote work matters a lot for patterns in where people move. A remote worker who still has to visit the office occasionally may move to the exurbs of the same metro area as pandemic area, as pandemic era research suggests people have done. A remote worker who never has to visit the office may be free to relocate across the country. One reason remote worker mobility rose during the pandemic was that many people, all at the same time, were newly given one of these two options. The nature of remote work itself also shifted. If the phrase previously conjured the few people who got to stay home three days a week, now, for many white-collar workers, it means they can decouple their home and work locations entirely. The people that worked remotely pre-pandemic are very different than the people who work remotely now, said Nicholas Bloom, a Stanford economist who studies remote work. Remote workers pre-pandemic were often taking a small pay cut for the accommodation. They were more likely to be women and to have caregiving responsibilities, disabilities, or other considerations that necessitated working from home. During the pandemic, those rare accommodations became expected perks for many more workers. And this expanding shifting pool of remote workers encountered a changing job market, one where it became much easier to interview online and discreetly at home for new jobs. All of this pushes towards a higher mobility rate, Mr. Bloom said. Whether that continues will depend in part on how employers handle remote work in the years to come. If more companies ultimately demand hybrid patterns, that could dampen long-distance mobility tied to permanent remote work. If more companies embrace remote work fully, that could give some workers newfound confidence to relocate. We may, say e we may even see workers sorting into jobs and career tracks that allow remote work, said Adam Ozimek, the chief economist at the Economic Innovation Group. As remote work's effects ripple across the economy and the housing market, Mr. Ozimek has found in research with Eric Carlson that remote work has even driven new household formation. Imagine two remote working roommates 
now each needing a separate home. That on top of everything else would push up mobility too. It's also possible that many of the people who were given a chance to work remotely for the first time in the last few years have now settled into new patterns, new locations and homes. Better fitting that opportunity. This could mean remote workers will eventually start to look more settled as a group again. But, Mr. Ozimek cautioned, we're a long way off from the equilibrium there. So it seems like in my takeaway, um, college educated people are obviously uh, going to be more in careers more that allow remote work than people who don't go to college. So, you know, people work in service industries, hotels, restaurants, uh, work in supermarkets. Obviously, they're not remote workers. Um, so, and people with college educations tend to make more money, not, not all the time across the board, but these types of jobs, um, they would make more money than, say, someone waiting tables in a restaurant. But then these are the people who are moving out of these metro areas, the New York metro area, Boston metro area, San Francisco, and so forth. And those economies in those places are geared towards people in those jobs who make those types of salaries, and they're not there. So, for example, you know, I'd heard about, like, San Francisco still looking like a ghost town. Because people are technically, you know, they work for a company that might be based in the San Francisco Bay Area, but they don't live there. So they're not spending any money there. Um, when I went out to Bend, Oregon a couple of years ago, there were these, uh, you know, bumper stickers and things like that, you know, basically telling people go back to California. A lot of people were, re were relocating to Bend, swelling the population there, and it, it does feel crowded for you know, what you would think would be a small city in kind of central Oregon. Uh, but people move there because California is so expensive. But then they're not really, they're not working in Oregon either. So there were, there were tax questions. And it raises questions like, okay, well, if all those people move out of an area, who's going to pay for the schools? Like, you, like public transportation, trash pickup. Like, where's your tax base go? Um and as usual, it always seems to be the, you know, the, the working class, the working poor who get none of the benefits of any of this and are kind of left with all of the problems. You know, if, if someone's able to earn $250,000 a year working for a financial firm in Manhattan, but they never have to go into the office and they can live, you know, maybe in Florida or someplace like that. Again, like what happens to the local economy? You know, in San Francisco, they're talking about local businesses, like there's nobody there to shop at them anymore. So those businesses have been going out of business. And as they said in the article, a lot of ripple effects. I mean, hey, working from home can be kind of nice. You know, you're in your pajamas all day maybe, or that's the stereotype, but there's also the ripple effects to consider. All right, thanks a lot for listening, everybody. We'll be back at you real soon with more hard-hitting topics. Uh, don't forget about the book. I'm going to be reading segments of the book. Hopefully you find it interesting. Like us wherever you're supposed to like us. And uh, thanks a lot for listening. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Working Experience. 
We'd like to thank our sponsors, One Circle Media. If you work for a studio, network, startup, or corporation and are looking for a partner to create media that will build, engage, and entertain your audience, reach out to me at john at onecirclemedia.com. I would love to hear from you. And that's it. The end. The sweet end. Until our next audio encounter.